Welcome to this episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. I'm Eric. And I'm Angie. We are married with a ton of kids. We have six kids total. He has three and I have three. My name's Hallie and I love riding horses. I'm Lexi and I love agriculture. My name's Carter and I love eating. My name's Chase and I love lifting weights. My name's Summer and I love spending my parents' money. I'm Dane and I love baseball. Our show is about our blended, blessed, and always a mess life. And our hope is if you find yourself in the same situation we are in, that by sharing our story, all the fun, and all the mess, the challenges we are experiencing, it will give you some inspirations, laughs, and community, knowing you are not alone in this mess. We appreciate you spending time with us. Let's dive in. This episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess is sponsored by the children's book, Feathers Matter. As our kids grow up, They face challenges in their life, and knowing their self-worth and their value is crucial to face the headwinds. Purchase this beautiful story to read to your kids and grandkids and start the conversation with them at a young age. They are worthy, they matter, and their feathers matter. You can find the link to order on our BlendedBlessedAlwaysAMess.com page. Mention code hashtag blessed for an autographed copy. Welcome to this week's episode of Blended Blessed and Always a Mess. And, you know, one of the things that I think is obvious if you have listened to our podcast over the first two seasons and even here in season three is that we openly talk often about our church, The Crossing, here in Columbia, Missouri. And we know that, you know, while we have listeners in India and England and Canada, maybe not everyone is Christian all the time. And, and, but for Angie and I, we don't know how we would get through the grief if we didn't have Jesus in our lives. I mean, just lean on him all the time and, and the hope that we will see Hallie again someday in heaven. And so you might remember back season one of our podcast was really just about a blended family podcast. We had our friend Lynn Roush on for a two-part episode on blending families and the counseling that goes into that. And Lynn is a counselor at The Crossing. And then how I first started going to The Crossing was when I met her husband, Shay, 15 years ago, and he was on our podcast around Christmas of this year. And he, he kind of talked about how he walked Hallie through those final hours. He was the only person not in our family in the room with us that whole time. And, and so him and I have been friends for a long, long time. And over that period of time, then I, I, a couple of years back, Met another good friend at the crossing, Pastor Dave Cover, who's one of the founding members of the crossing. He is a co-pastor that you see pretty much every other Sunday morning on stage. And it's funny how God works is that we really just started texting about sports. Dave and his son David, who we love when he leads worship at the crossing, super talented young man. We just the three of us started like a text thread about sports, just belly aching to each other. Yeah, when certain things happen. Yeah, because yeah. we're we're Missouri fans, and no, yeah. normally good things don't right. happen, or we can never have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cardinals, Chiefs, and that's how our friendship started. And then right. when Hallie passed away, it just started to get kind of deeper. I mean, somewhere along the way, it got a little deeper from time to time. But then I just I hurt right and to reached out to these guys at different times. And so our friendship has developed some into more meaningful conversations about what's really happening in our lives. Yeah. And, and Dave, I said to you before, but you just, when I'm around you, you bring me comfort. And I think you're the only one that would probably say, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do feel that way. Um, that, and, and so it, it's one of those things where I remember at Halle's celebration of life, David was playing guitar and and I had to sing Amazing Grace and we all fully expected I was going to fall apart. And and I looked out and I, I didn't know you were coming. And I saw you towards the back and it just, it brought a calmness over me mm-hmm. and, and I just felt better. And, mm-hmm. and 
when we had lunch earlier this year, it, I felt better. And that's when I started to do your meditation because I was really struggling with anxiety badly. And so recently what Angie and I have been talking about is how she does such a good job. And I'm talking about this on the podcast about how she does such a good job of sitting in silence. Yeah. And then you happen to preach on that just in the last month, a little bit. And I've mentioned your meditation podcast multiple times here on our podcast that I think it's worthwhile for people that are looking to find a way to slow down and to, to try to like turn off the anxiety if they can. Yeah, it's so I not just for say, everybody. It's, a, it's not a multitasking con, uh, podcast. It's the kind of thing where if you want to go deeper in how you sit in the presence of God and contemplate the meaning of his promise contemplate the meaning of his presence, his peace. It takes unwinding from our noisy culture to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's about a 15 minute episode each time. It takes a little time to get into the spirit of it. And it's not for everybody, but I think a lot of people find it helpful. I love that. It's like usually 12 to 20 minutes because yep. I have that kind of time yep. to like really get into it. So I do really like that. So today, and Angie is here, if you're wondering. She, she hasn't spoken yet, but she is here. Stats show, Dave, that when it's just my podcast, it doesn't do as well yeah, than I, when Angie's here. Sure, they, absolutely. They like her better than me. But I so. noticed she doesn't have a microphone right now. We're going to get there. So, so I took her microphone, I guess. <laughs> you guys are good. You're good. So uh, just lead us off today by talking about what does the Bible teach us about grief? Well, so here's a, about grief, the, the sense with it, the Bible is probably almost all of it written in the context of grief. Every, if you go to the New Testament, every author is somebody whose life, their own life, is steeped in grief. The suffering that comes from, these are people who are convinced Jesus rose from the dead, but to proclaim that message in the culture they lived in meant that they were going to be in prison. It meant they were going to be, people were going to try to kill them. Eventually they were killed, executed. So their life is in the context of suffering. If you like read in the New Testament book of Second Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul is giving a list of the things that he's been suffering, it's a list that any one of those things would be devastating in my life. And he's got a whole litany of 15 of these things. And so he's somebody who's written a lot of part of the New Testament. And then you have other apostles who are writing in the New Testament and their life is characterized by suffering, eventually characterized by execution. And they're writing to Christians who are experiencing suffering for the same reasons. So almost every letter of the New Testament is written to people who are suffering, by people who are suffering, about one who suffered on our behalf, and that's Jesus. And so grief, suffering, loss, pain is always the background echo of almost every book in the Bible. That's for sure true of the Old Testament as well. So I, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So to say, what does the Bible say about grief? I think the full answer would be the entire Bible. But I think in a, in a small nutshell, it would say that we are part of a bigger story, that any moment in your life is never separated from the context of what your whole life is in. And that's this bigger story of God who became human in order to take death upon himself, suffering upon himself on the cross into the grave, into death itself, so that he could rise from the dead 
and that in that resurrection reboot an entire world. It's the first of a reboot. It's the first of a new creation. Jesus's body is the first of a new creation that's going to come when he brings the kingdom back to earth and the resurrection of those who are his, the resurrection of this world. So to answer your question, what the Bible says about grief is that every moment is a part of a bigger story. And if we separate ourselves from that, grief is going to be overwhelming. We're not going to have a perspective. It's going to be something that takes over our life, ruins a sense of hope. Our life is over. There's no coming out of this darkness because we're seeing this moment as our story instead of seeing this moment as part of a bigger story, a better story. Well, that doesn't relate to anything we've done today at all, does it, honey? No. No, I, I can totally see that. Like That makes sense when you say that. As I'm thinking through and listening to you talk about that, I do feel like that when there are those moments where you feel like so isolated, right? Yep. And it's like you're lonely be- right. internally because it's the weight of it is yep. so heavy that if you do switch that perspective and think about like this is such a small sliver in what the whole story is, there's a little bit of like it feels lighter. Yeah. You know, if you, my wife and I watch these series, eight episode series, 10 episode series on PBS or Netflix or whatever. And there's a pattern, right? There's always the the sixth episode. I keep telling my wife, okay, this is episode six. So the story is going to get worse. It sounded, you feel like it's getting better, that it's almost coming to an end in episode five. Just know that episode six is going to become very hopeless (laughs) and it's going to leave you in a hopeless place because she hates to have go to bed depressed. You're going to be left off at the end of episode six, just panicky. The whole thing's going to fall apart. And that's kind of how every moment in our life of suffering, if we can just remember, okay, this is episode six, and there's a (laughs) much bigger story, and Mm -hmm. the bigger story happens because I'm going through episode six. It's part of the unfolding of the story. God has the, the pieces, the moving parts he's putting together, and this is a necessary episode for that bigger story in my life. That makes a lot of sense to me when you put it in that perspective. And so I'm really glad that you did. And I, when you started in on that, I was like, I every series. And I guess it really is. Something, when, you know, episode six or seven yeah, or five. You that's know, it depends true. on how many of his eight episodes or 10 episodes. Huh. You have to take that dive to hopelessness. That is crazy. Yeah. Well, when I, we started talking about this a little bit, we're 15 months into this grief season, this grief episode, if you yep. will. Yep. One of the things that I have tried to pay attention to, and I know you you can do a much better job than me biblically, is that we are told that you know Jesus wept. Jesus grieved as well. And so when I try to think of wanting to be with Jesus again, it's knowing, trying to remind myself that there are places in the Bible where he stopped down and he cried more than once. Yeah. So you have the Bible. People say it's the shortest verse in John chapter 11. Jesus wept. It's just one verse. It's actually not the shortest verse. It's it's the shortest verse in English, but the New Testament was written in Greek. And so if you read the Greek, the shortest verse is actually 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that says, rejoice always, which is strange because what is the shortest verse in English, Jesus wept, versus the shortest verse in Greek, rejoice always. It seems like the Bible's contradicting in a sense. How can Jesus be weeping and rejoicing always? Doesn't seem like it goes together. But what the Bible's saying when it says rejoice always, it's not having a happy, clappy, kind of dumb, I know less. As long as I kind of know less, I can kind of be happy if I don't know too much. But it's more of a, the more I know about the bigger story, the more I can have this sense of 
And Dallas Willard defines joy as a, a pervasive sense of well-being. So it's not a, a happy, clappy, passing moment of just happiness. It's this underlying sense of well-being. And so that verse where Jesus wept, it's interesting because that's when he's going to the tomb of his friend who died, Lazarus. He's going to that tomb and everybody's crying. Jesus is standing at the tomb and it says, Jesus wept. And it's, it's strange because he knows he's getting ready to raise him from the dead. He knows in just a few verses, he's going to call his name and he's going to come walking out in his grave clothes. And so Jesus is not weeping because he's gone. He's weeping because death is a tragedy. It's an invasion into the human condition. It's a Genesis 3 invasion of what God intended for this world to be a, a world of abundance, every tree pleasing to the eye, good for food, this tree of life. It's meant to be this presence of God everywhere, and yet we wanted to be our own God, live for our own glory, find our own way. So we're kind of in episode six, in a sense, in the earth story as well. It's a, it's a time of darkness. It's a time of death. And Jesus faced it with his friend, and he wept, even though he was going to raise him from the dead. I think that what that shows us is that the tragedy of death is never something we should blow off as something that I shouldn't grieve. I should grieve. Jesus grieved. Because death is a tragedy. It's always sad. It's always an invasion. It's never meant to be something that we were, in a sense, created to experience. And so even, I think that's why First Thessalonians 4, 13, the Apostle Paul talks to the believers, and he says that do not, when somebody has died, I don't want you to grieve like the rest who have no hope. But we believe, he says, that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring life. He will bring the kingdom of God back when Jesus comes back. We're part of a bigger story. So we grieve. That grief is real. It's painful, sometimes overwhelmingly so. And yet, even in that grief, there's a background echo of hope. There's a sense of well-being. There's a sense that I can rejoice in my grief. I can grieve with joy, I can have two stories going on at the same time, the tragedy of death and the reality that Jesus has already begun a new creation by his resurrection. And that story is happening right now and I can have hope. That's the story my life is in. That's the story Holly is in. That's the story that grief is in. I, I've not heard that definition of joy around like it's your sense of well-being. And I, I'm going to use that going forward because I think when you're going through grief, it's just so heavy and you worry, like I worry, like, am I going to feel joy again or happy? And it is that like, mm -hmm. I want, you know, yeah. yay, everything's great, yeah. but that's really not what it is. Right? right. Like it's just at least some sense of well-being or there, you know, there's hope that there's more to come type of thing. So I think sometimes we get wrapped up or I do at least of like, my gosh, I should feel better than this. Right. We all know people who try to have a life where they have times of partying, laughing, and we know they're really sad people. And so they're laughing, but we know they're sad. We know they're unhappy, but they're laughing right now in this moment. And it's almost the opposite. When we understand the real story, we can have this sense that we're crying now, but you know, we're also joyful because we know that we're having a bigger story. And so we're, we're for sure going to have hard times. We're going to hurt. We're going to cry. 
we're going to go through tremendous loss, a sense of real loss, and be sometimes deeply unhappy. And that deep unhappiness might last a long time. And yet, at the same time, we know the last word in the Bible is joy. The last word is that there's going to be joy that returns because Jesus has risen from the dead. Life is returning, abundance, and this constant sense that like even in the Psalms, like Psalm 27, verse 13, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So in this time of suffering right now, he's going through and he suffered a lot in these times he's writing this Psalm. Friends are dying. He's on, he's on the run. He's in, he's being threatened. He's being accused. He's being slandered. And he finishes the Psalm like he does often in the Psalms that he writes. I believe that I I'm going to have a time in the future where I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, this resurrected world. So he says in the last verse, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord is kind of, that's kind of the context of all of us in our, in our grief. That's the big picture. That's the ultimately the bigger, better story that our life is in. And, and every moment of suffering can't be ignored. It has to be entered entered into for the real tragedy and the hurt and pain that it is. And yet, we know the last word is joy. I love all the things that we've talked about so far today because they're so applicable to where we're at. And it's been a difficult 15 months where we've gone through the different stages of grief, right? Where there's anger and there's denial, denial, right? Yeah. So much different stuff. And and I go back to say to people all the time, you know, my dad died when I was the day after my 27th birthday, he was 52. And that was the biggest grieving moment in my life at that time. And that lasted for a long time. I didn't handle it well at 27. I, Mm -hmm. I didn't have great faith in Jesus. I did not understand the bigger story. It was probably about a year or so after he died that I started coming to the crossing. And while I've had parts of definite anger in Hallie's passing, I do feel like at least there's a better understanding of, okay, there is a bigger story. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. But there's something, you know, kind of like you said a minute ago, I think when my dad died, I tried to party and have fun, yeah. but I was really sad. You wanted to escape I, into into feeling pleasure and joy, but you yes. couldn't escape the sadness because you didn't have a better story. Yes. And this feels different. I'm sad, but there's a different story that I know exists in Jesus. Yeah. And so that I think is, is helpful. And everyone, as we know, grieves differently. I mean, even this, you know, same situation can happen to different personalities, yeah, but you're yeah. going to grieve it differently than I would. Yeah. So as you look back on your life, if there's, there been some moment that you could go, okay, this happened. It really was grievous for me. It made me grieve a lot. Yeah. How did you handle that? You're being a, yeah. In the scripture much longer than I have. Uh, Was yeah. it good, bad? I, know, I haven't had the death of a child. I haven't had the death of a spouse or anything like that. My dad died when I was 26. You were 27. And it was unexpected. It was sudden. And I remember for three weeks after he died, I just was sort of just stunned. I mean, I couldn't think. Everything was in a fog, a cloud. I, I was a Christian. I'd get my Bible out. I would try to read it for comfort. And I it was almost like it was written in a different language. I just couldn't even read it. I couldn't even understand what I was reading. My mind was so foggy. But I, I, eventually, I came to this place where I, I, I was able to concentrate again. And part of my, it's not just my dad's death, my mom's death, or just the, you know, there's just life is full of sadnesses. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be death. It's just the sadness of when 
your kid goes away to college and they're no longer part of home or the, the sadness of when you have, you start having bratty teenage kids and they're, they're no longer excited. <laughs> that is super sad. Yeah. They're no longer excited to see you when you come yeah. home from work or, you know, they're no longer interested in having your attention. They kind of want to avoid you. That's a sadness. That's a mm-hmm. grief. And, and those things, I just, it's one of those things where you have to keep yourself in this bigger story. And so that's one of the reasons, honestly, why I started the podcast was to try to re-narrate people's day. If you could just take 15 minutes and re-narrate your day, because we're always putting our imagination into our body. When you wake up from a nightmare at night or a stressful dream, your heart's racing, your muscles are tense, you're sweaty. That was all imagination. Your imagination created a physical, chemical response in your body. Just your imagination, just your mind created this bodily, physical, chemical experience. So we're always doing that unconsciously. We don't know it. But the the story we imagine our life in is always being put into our body in one way or another. Chemicals in our body being released because of the story we see our life in. And we're always imagining the story where our life is in. We're always interpreting our moment. We're always interpreting our day, interpreting what people say to us. And we're, we're creating a narrative around that. And that interpretation is being put into our body. So the meditation podcast was to re-narrate that. What is the story your life is in? Well, I'm not in charge. God is. And he is very good. I know that because he became human in the person of Jesus, underwent incredible suffering, being beaten, lived in poverty, lived in an occupied country, an oppressive power, was raised in poverty, and was nailed to a cross with nails through his hands, feet. He did that so that he could reboot creation, reboot my life. So he's very good, and and he knows me better than I know myself, and there's... All these things I can't control, but that's not bad because I'd be terrible at controlling these things. But the God that created this universe sees all the moving parts. He has the box cover to the puzzle. He knows what every piece is going to make in the end. I just see missing pieces. He's got all the pieces. He's got the box cover. And so I can trust that he knows what he's doing. The God that created this universe is going to have a plan. He's going to be working in things I'm not going to understand. But if I can just believe his promise and believe what has already happened in the person of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the things that Jesus says, like when he says in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Now, every sparrow dies, they fall to the ground, but Jesus says not one of them falls to the ground outside of God's care. And then he says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth way more than sparrows. So if I can trust that not one moment in my life happens outside my heavenly Father's care, and he knows every detail of my life, Jesus says all the way down to the very numbers of your hair. I think he would say now every cell in your body, he has all the details and he is infinitely and intimately intentionally involved in every moment in my life. I can trust him even though I'm not in control. I don't need to be in control. I don't have to be afraid because he's got the big picture and he's got the better story and I can trust him in that. That almost leads to your question down below, I think. 
Yeah, I'm going to pivot off of that for just a second. Like one of the things with losing Hallie that I don't doubt that there's a God. I'm so grateful that when we started dating, I started going to crossing and have grown so much in my faith. And just all the things that have happened since we lost her, like I 100% know she's in a better place and I trust God. Like I, I don't, I don't doubt that. And I love at the crossing when you talk about all the galaxies and the universe and all of that stuff, because it's so hard to even imagine what that's like for her and where, where she is. I just can't even wrap my brain around it. I know you talk about that too. Like you can't even imagine like infinite galaxies out there. Right. It blows your mind if you think about it. Yeah. You can't, you can't even like think about it. Like it's, yeah. I so was, crazy. Yes, I started watching the movie Oppenheimer. I didn't watch it during the Barbenheimer Fest. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it's come, I just watched, started watching the first hour of it last night. And, you know, he's, he's interpreting things differently than I would, but, but Robert Oppenheimer in the film is being overwhelmed with the complexity of the quantum physics of the universe. And what it says about reality is way different than what he assumed reality to be. And it's putting him in a bad place in a sense where he's, he's sort of in a dark place where the universe is way less personal, less purposeful than he assumed. I think it's the exact opposite. I think that if there is a creator, if there is a God, which I think is the best explanation for anything existing at all, especially something that popped into existence, whatever, 13 billion years ago, what does it say about God that this universe is so incomprehensibly complex. The God that created this universe is infinitely incomprehensibly complex. If I don't trust him with my grief, if I don't trust that he has a a story, even though the tragedy of Holly dying and how she died is so inexplicably evil, stupid, Mm -hmm. foolish, frustrating, somehow in the mystery of things I don't understand, at the same time, Nothing happens outside of my father's care. I don't know how all that works. I have no idea, but I don't even know how quantum physics works. I don't know how the light photon can be a particle and a wave, (laughs) but it somehow is both. And so God knows. So if the things that I can see, I don't understand how much more the things that I can't see that I have, I can't understand, but I can trust the God that created this universe he sees all the moving parts. The alternative is what? The alternative is what? Who else Nothing. has the answer? Who else are you yeah. going to go to? Who else has an answer that doesn't sound stupid at a funeral when they try to be positive or say some platitude, you know, sing somewhere over the rainbow or something to try to mm-hmm. bring hope to a hopeless story that ends in death and everybody at the funeral's life ends in death and ends in nothingness, not to get too depressed here, but what alternative do you have than to say, okay, I don't have all the answers and I, the things I believe aren't self-evident to everybody. There's a faith aspect there, but I'm going to put my nickel down on this answer. I'm going to dive a swan dive into this answer because any other place I go is going to be nothing but a rock quarry that has no water. It's going to be a crash in the end. There's nothing that's going to save me. So I'm going to trust a hundred percent in what Jesus said. And I'm going to trust that he was speaking truth. And I'm just going to find comfort in those words. Don't be afraid. I, I know there's a thousand things to be afraid of, 
But don't be afraid because nothing happens in your life outside of your father's care. And I'm just going to rest right there in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is so comforting. Like I find comfort in all of that of like, just trust. I mean, I believe a hundred percent believe that God created all of this. And, and you're not going to know the why. Well, and that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. Because even in all of that faith and knowing I talk to a lot of parents that have lost kids and I feel like every one of us, we still come back to why did this happen? Like yeah. why? And we'll never know the answer, but I always say like the minute I get to see Hallie again, like that's, that's the question I want to know. It was like, mm-hmm. why did this happen? But it's a common thing. And I think you could just drive yourself crazy trying to analyze why. And we talked about this on our last podcast of, of like this, one of the recent sermons was, you know, to easier for you to a camel to go through the eye of a needle, yeah. you know, versus those that are like blessed or whatever. And it started making me think like, oh my gosh, did, did I cause this because I didn't have like strong beliefs longer ago? Like, because yeah. you wanted the answer to yeah. the why did this happen? So I feel like so many people when they go through loss, like that's, that's that number one, like burning question. Mm-hmm. You just want an explanation yeah. of why. Yeah. And, and that's a natural thing. I totally get that and relate to that. But I think you'll drive yourself crazy mm-hmm. because you won't, you won't find an explanation. And, you know, you said, a, you said a phrase there that caught my attention that when you see Holly, that's mm-hmm. going to be. But I, I, I bet if the, what Jesus, the things Jesus says are true, if what the things the Bible says are true, I bet that when you see Holly, you're going to say, oh, it's great to see you. But that's not going to be the main thing that's going to capture your attention. When you see Holly behind her, however this happens, what you're really going to see is the face of God. And Holly's great, but when you see the face of God so overwhelming in beauty, so overwhelming in everything you've longed for in all your life, Everything that has been empty in your life is filled in that face. You're going to love Holly. You're going to, that's great. Mm -hmm. But what the Bible says is what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What you're going to see when you see the face of God is going to be so overwhelmingly beautiful. And so Holly will be a great part, Mm -hmm. but it won't even become close to the best part. So that reminds me of something that a lady said to me that was like, hit me like so profound. And I meet with Kay Fitzpatrick. Every yeah, I was going to say, have you talked to her? Because she and Craig have gone through yes, all this. And- we've, we've met a couple of times and she's such a like shining light mm-hmm. for me because yeah. you, she's so much further along in her journey. Yeah. And we were talking about, I asked the question, like if you're whatever in your life, get a cancer diagnosis, like. Would you oh, treat she'd it? take it. She'd take it in a heartbeat. She wants to die so so quick, right? But she's going through life faithfully and yes, joyfully. And, but so she, what she said to me though was very similar to what you just said. She said, "I told myself that if I ever got to a point where I longed to see God before Kyle, that I was going down the right yeah, journey in my faith." Right. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Mm-hmm. Like I honestly never even thought of it that way yeah. because you're so like wrapped around your child yep. and like a piece of you is That's gone. That's the love you know. Yes. Yeah. And so to flip that and think about 
craving mm-hmm. to see God more than your child. Yeah. It's like, wow. Like it just sort of, it was so profound. It just struck me. Like I did not think of it that way. And the same for you just saying that it's like, wow, that yeah. would be an amazing feeling yeah. to be so struck by seeing God. Mm-hmm. That's why Over Jesus your prayed. Child. You know what I mean? Yeah, like no, it's just I, yeah. hard to wrap your mind around it, but I could see where that would happen that way. And I think it will happen that way, whether you're prepared for it to happen that way or not. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's what Jesus said in the prayer he prayed before he was arrested and crucified in John 17. He talked about those who believe in him through the message of his apostles, that they would be with him and that they would see his glory the glory he had with the Father before the world even began. And to Jesus, that was the big event. That's the big thing. When we are with him in the kingdom of God, that we see his glory, and that glory becomes the answer to every missing piece of the puzzle we we didn't have. And then all of a sudden, everything will begin to fall into place and make sense. We won't know all the whys, but that will be the big why. And so... You know, you have that chapter like in in Hebrews chapter 11 where all these people are listed who suffered and died for their faith throughout the what we call the Old Testament. And none of them ever knew why. None of them ever saw the the promise that they died for. But it says, but they they knew the who and they knew the where. And so they they were longing for a kingdom whose architect and builder was God, it says, and that they could trust God and that God was the point. And this glory of God, this beauty of God, this God being what fills every longing in our heart, even when we don't know that, none of us really know that. I mean, you know, I'm talking here all pastory, but <laughs> but when we all go through life with this hole in our heart, this hole in our life that nothing seems to fill, and in our best spiritual moments, and this is again why I do the meditation, but in our best moments, it's just a little sliver. It's just a little glimpse. It's a moment, but it doesn't really come even close to filling our heart the way it's going to fill our heart when we actually see God face to face. Yeah, makes sense. And I had not thought about it that way, right? You're thinking about seeing Hallie and not God when really it's going to be, yeah. here's God. Oh my gosh, this is, and Hallie's going to see guys look. Hallie will be the center of yeah, your attention. She's going to be like, this is so cool, isn't yeah. it? it? Just before we wrap up, I, I, when we had lunch a couple of months back and, you know, we were, we've been in this fight or flight mode for so long and I was really struggling at the time. And, yeah. and you said, you know, stress will, will really get your body. And it always shows up in your body. And when you did your sermon in the last month on, you know, sitting in the silence, Angie, his death for people that are grieving, mm-hmm. don't be like me. Don't try to not don't sit go in the, the silence. Eric route. Don't do the air. Do what Angie does. And she she does very good at sitting in the silence. And so when you preached on that in the last month, it was like I I'd already started the, the doing your podcast after we had lunch, but then I started trying to do over the last few weeks what Angie does. And that's when I'm in my car, spend some significant time quietly talking to God or, you know, just trying to process my thoughts, my feelings, rather than mask them with music. And I remember probably seven or eight years ago you did a different sermon that was very similar, but also talking about how many people can't sit in their car without listening to music. They get uncomfortable. Talk about, because I texted you after the sermon. I said, you know, you could have promoted your podcast and you were like, well, I didn't want to be self-promoting. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been promoting it weekly on our podcast since then. But so just talk to people about yeah. a bigger life and how yeah. it can help. You, you've touched on it earlier, but for somebody like myself that was in fight or flight, mm-hmm. why it can be helpful. Well, so for me, my life, 
I have a personality where I have this illusion that everything's great, everything's okay. I'm, I'm by nature a positive person, which means I'm not really dealing with the things my mind knows are not positive. I'm just sort of stuffing that. I'm stuffing pain. I'm stuffing things that I don't want to deal with and ignoring it. But as that one book is titled, The Body Keeps the Score, you know, your body always keeps the score of the, of the things that are real, even if you're not paying attention to those things. And I began to experience maybe, I don't know, 12 years ago, kind of a chronic pain issue in my life. And I, as I read on it and went to a clinic in California and all this stuff, and at least with my chronic pain, muscle spasm condition, it's exacerbated by stress. It's exacerbated by anxiety that's, for me, unconscious. I'm Like, if you asked me, are you stressed? I'd say, no, everything's great. Are you anxious? No, I can't think of anything I'm anxious about. But that anxiety and that stress is in my heart rate. It's in my tenseness in my muscles, the tenseness in my face, tenseness in my shoulders, my abdomen. And so the reason I know that is because I learned that if I just stop for a minute, take a breath and start breathing and start paying attention to in a sense, feeling my body from within. I know that sounds kind of weird, but you know what I mean? You, you focus your on your mind, on your body as if you're inside of it. And you can feel, I can feel the tension in my muscles. I can feel the rigidness. And if I focus on relaxing those muscles, releasing that tightness, releasing that tension through beginning a slow rhythm of breathing, deeper breathing, letting my out breath be longer than my in breath, where I'm just focusing my mind on feeling my body drop, feeling my body as if every cell is falling toward the ground, no longer having to hold myself up, no longer having to present a face to the world. I'm in my room by myself. I can let my face drop. And when I focus on that physical aspect of my body, I can feel it. I mean, I can sense that feeling of my body going to a different place. And I've learned to do that in times where I'm experiencing a flare-up of my chronic pain. If I can take five minutes and just do what I just said to you right there, it makes a huge difference. Now, there's a lot of meditation apps and meditation methods that do that. But I think as a Christian, we can go so much deeper into a reality when we understand that it's not just a physical technique, but really what brings peace is the this sense that I'm in the presence of God. God is in charge. God is in control. There's not a single moment in my life outside of my Father's care, my Father's presence, my Heavenly Father's presence. The Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit of God is giving life to every cell in my body. The Bible has this language that my very breath comes from the Spirit of God constantly, there's a verse in Job that says, if he withdrew his spirit and his breath, all mankind would perish from the earth. That every moment we're being given breath, every moment we're being given life by God's spirit. And when I can come into contact with connection with that reality, this vertical connection, every cell in my body depends upon the spirit of God for its life. Every breath I take comes from the breath that God gives me. It all of a sudden re-narrates my life as connected to God, vertically connected to him. Every moment in my life is inside that story. And so it, it really does bring a peace, a, a calm, this pervasive sense of well-being 
that Dallas Willard described as joy in every moment in my life, even when I am kind of panicky. I don't know the next day. I don't know the next year. I can trust. And that doing that kind of meditation puts me in that place of trust. The alternative is just noise. The alternative is scrolling on social media, binge watching on Netflix, always trying to bring, like you said, music, noise into our lives. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote his book, The Screwtape Letters, it's kind of a, a, a satire on a, a more powerful demon trying to train a lesser demon how to how to keep a Christian's life in, in their control. And one of the things that this more powerful demon named Screwtape is the Screwtape Letters is the book says to the younger demon that he describes the devil's realm as a kingdom of noise. And he says, we will make the entire universe a noise in the end. That silence was the greatest threat to what they were trying to do in a person's life. And so if I can enter this silence and not try to clear my mind, but to try to fill my mind with this sense of God's presence and this narrative that my life is in, and that replaces the noise with a real peace that the silence is a kind of joy. There's a smile on your face when you start to realize the gravity of what reality really is in that moment. And that's where peace comes from. Well, I'm already relaxed. So just <laughs> listening. Could you talk for the next 30 minutes? I told you, I've been doing, I was trying to get her to do it. And I'm like, if it's 12, 13 minutes, I'm like really in and focused. If it gets to 20, I typically fall asleep yeah. those last five yeah. minutes, Dave. You know, everybody's, that point, everybody's yelling at me when I go over 20. It's like, uh, now I'm falling asleep. I don't yell at you because I'm asleep at that moment. Yeah. All right, this was a really good one today. Really, really locked in. The name of the podcast where everybody can find it. It's called Christian Meditation for a Bigger Life. I think if you just punch in Dave Cover, C-O-V-E-R, looks like cover. Yeah. I listen to it on my Apple podcast, but I'm sure Spotify, all the yeah, things. Yeah, I do it on uh, Overcast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. I saw you, you said you're not good at this. We always ask our guests, what is your favorite family tradition? I'm really not good at it. My wife is terrible at it too. So we, we you know, we, when our kids were younger, we did certain things. But what we do now that our kids are older, the best things we do is sit on the porch. My daughter and I love to smoke cigars together. I know that's oh my, <laughs> my daughter. That's when, awesome. when she comes home from DC, the favorite thing she loves to do with me is to sit out on our porch, Aww. smoke a cigar, drink a little whiskey. And, uh, and, that's and awesome. she, it's, it's, it's a great family. And my son loves to do it too. So, and when we can all do it, my wife's not doing it, but she's sitting over on the far side of the porch away from the smoke. <laughs> but when the four of us can be out there and their husband and wife, and we're doing that, it's a really awesome time. I love that. And awesome. as I tell everyone, Dave has one of the coolest porches ever because he's got these heaters in the ceiling that yeah. are just everyone. Yeah, I so talk we can to do now. it any time of any time of the year. We can turn those heaters on and be out there in forty degree, thirty degree weather and be just fine. Yeah, she would she has to have a heated blanket on all yeah. the time. And yeah. so we have a fireplace out there, but it does not give off the heat that yours does. So ever since I was at your house last spring, I am telling people if we ever build another house, that that's like top of my list of things that it would have to have is it is a game changer and if it gets windy all bets are off but uh <laughs> but it's a game changer yeah well dave thank you so much for joining us today this my pleasure i enjoyed it really yeah. good and uh and again if you are in the mid-missouri area and you're looking for a church home we always invite you to join us at the crossing on sunday mornings for everybody else just each and every week continue to pray for you and if you'll pray for us have a wonderful week and god bless Thank you for listening to Blended Blessed and Always a Mess. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at blendedblessedalwaysamess.com. 
reach out to us on any of our social channels. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week.